We are the Comics Collective, and we're here to play! One, two, three! Welcome back to the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we sit down to talk about our favorite comic books and graphic novels. I am your co-host, Dallas. I'm Anne. I'm Alexis. Oh, how dare you? Forget how these. dare we? Unbelievable. We rehearsed this all all the time. We rehearsed this all the time, and you know what? It's 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 fine. It's fine. Girl, we have I the just, same. I just rehearsed my cold open, and that was it. Everything else is going in plan this week. We have the actual chemistry of sex, but bomb. And today, in case you have weren't able to tell from that cold open, from the reference to sex, bob bomb. We are joined by none other than the main man himself. Matthew Island. Patel! <laughs> Matthew Patel. I'm here for Scott Pilgrim! <laughs> our fight was getting our, back in my emails! <laughs> our evil ex, Evan Von Doom, joins us today to talk about none other than Brian Lee O'Malley's Scott Pilgrim series. How are you doing, Evan? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk about Scott Pilgrim. I love this book, so I'm all here for so it. You're tox- so you're toxic, is what you're I saying. I would say so. <laughs> me too. All, all the worst parts of me live in Scott Pilgrim. Like every douchey, evil thing I've ever done that I like to feel like I've grown past, this book is about. I can't say I ever dated a 17-year-old when I was 24. I did have more Ooh. sense than Scott Pilgrim. But just about everything else was like, oh, yeah, you're a dick. You're a very specific kind of dick. The nice guy nerd womanizer that's like, not me. I'm not doing this. I'm just too sweet and goofy. And I'm excited to dive into it. So before we do any of that, we are going to give you a quick synopsis of Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. For those who haven't read it and want to stay around for the conversation, or if after the synopsis you want to go out, read this amazing series, and come back, go ahead and do that. So, Evan, you are the one that wanted to do this book with us. Can you, A, tell us why, and then do the synopsis for Scott Pilgrim? Yes. Um, There are six books in this entire series, and they're pretty long. I think each one's like 300 or 400 pages so synopsis i'm gonna go pretty quickly and pretty broad stroke over that but i love scott pilgrim because i think it's very hard sometimes to write a character who is both lovable and pathetic and kind of a bad dude and still make him one redeemable even though they don't show his path for redemption for pretty much the whole series until towards the end i think it's really hard to pull that off and make it still charismatic and fun but this book is so fun It's so well made. It's so, I think, well paced. And there's a lot of different types of characters. And there's just like so many homages and love to different video games and music and uh, arts and mediums. And even cooking gets like a little love shout out at one point. So I think it's just a wonderful book that just says, these are all the things I love. If you relate to that, that's great. Hop into the story and let's watch this douchebag try to redeem himself after dating a, a high schooler, which you think is like the lowest you could go. I also think it's kind of crazy that 
a lot of people read the book and didn't really get bothered by the high school part of this. I think I did as a kid. I even I was just like, well, she's really young, dude. But I think it's really cool that, you know, you're able to tell a story like that without it being about how we all should hate this dude and should be more about like, well, how can he make things right? So that's why I love the book. It's also just like the art so good. Brandley O'Malley does an amazing job with it. Um, and the colors get added in for the color edition. I cannot remember the colorer or colorist's name. I apologize for that, but it adds such an extra level to it um, that I think Dallas is about to say it right now. Yeah, it's Nathan Fairbairn comes in and does the colors, which thank you elevate this piece through the roof. Like Insane. I thought I was a black and white purist. I had only ever read it through black and white, and I decided to read it in color this time. I will never read it not in color again. Like it was just so exponentially better. With Hell color. yeah. Heard it here first, folks. Scott Pilgrim cured racism. All right, here we go. So here's the synopsis. The first volume is about Scott actually meeting Ramona. At the time, it, when it starts, Scott's dating Knife's Chow, who is a 17-year-old high schooler, while Scott, I believe, is 23 to start the story out. So pretty big discrepancy in age there and obviously problematic. And the story is not at all saying what he's doing is okay. Everyone calls him out on it. And the entire series is about him basically getting redemption from that low starting point. So just getting that out of the way there because also I suppose trigger warning about grooming because that I don't want to say that's what's happening here, but that I could see the reflection on that. So if that does feel like something you can't handle, I totally understand that and respect it. And maybe this isn't the series for you. But otherwise, I do want to say they never say it's an okay thing what he's doing. So, yeah. I would just oh, echo, like, a lot of people talk about it like it's a big revelation that what Scott's doing is wrong, where, like, the book tells you. Yeah. People like, Scott Pilgrim, did you not notice he dated a 17-year-old? That book's disgusting. I was like, the book tells you he's a yeah. giant loser and weird <laughs> for doing this. Like, this is not a revelation. No. I think it's only not easy to spot if you're reading the book very much at the most face value you could possibly read it. Like if you're, a, I'm not even like trying to make fun of anybody or say anyone's like illiterate or anything. That's not what I'm doing here. Um, a lot of stuff in this book went over my head as a kid too, but maybe as a, like when you're in high school yourself, you just don't see the red flags or you grow up with the series. And so once you get to the level or level <laughs> volume five, where they really kind of, deep dive into like, oh, Scott Pilgrim's almost like an evil ex-boyfriend. That's when you kind of get that revelation of like, oh yeah, what he was doing was bad. I totally get that. But yeah, I also I totally agree with Dallas. I remember being on like Twitter like a few months ago and there's like this big thing about everyone being like, Scott Pilgrim, we got to cancel him. He's a bad person. No one should like him. And I was like, Are you, did you guys read the book? Of course you shouldn't like him right away. <laughs> like you can like him, but also understand what he's doing is like not good. So just getting all that out of the way. So he's starting the book with uh, dating a 17-year-old high schooler. I think the the first words are that. Um, And while he's dating, quote-unquote, dating this high schooler, he meets Ramona Flowers in his dreams, which is a woman from New York, uh, as far as he knows, who uses the subspace highway to deliver packages. It's very gnarly stuff. And he gets kind of not obsessed with her, but he's pretty obsessed with her. And then he sees her in real per- in real life, and he's like, oh, shoot, this is a real person. So while he's dating Knife's Chow, he goes and starts a relationship with Ramona. And 
that is when he starts getting letters and emails that he's not reading from the first evil ex-boyfriend, Matthew Patel. And so during a clash of demon, no, nope, 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 nope. During a, a concert where Sex Bomb is supposed to perform, um, Matthew Patel uh, attacks Scott and they get into a fight. And that's about uh, the time when, sorry, that Scott and Matthew fight. He beats Matthew and he goes to Ramona and Ramona reveals that in order for them to date, he has to defeat her seven evil exes. So one down, six more to go. So the second volume, uh, the main antagonist is Lee Price. It's also the moment where Scott actually breaks up with Knives and gets to fully date Ramona. Uh, more shenanigans happen in that book. And then volume three is where things really kick in the high gear because not only is Ramona's evil ex there, but so is Scott's evil ex so he has to face off not face off so much but face off with his evil ex envy adams and ramona's evil ex whose name i remember todd ingram that's why i can never remember it. he's my favorite evil ex and i always forget his name because it's todd what a loser um but todd's really cool because he's a vegan which gives him obviously superpowers so they have a lot of fights they fight in a, the canadian version of traders joe which i can never remember and that volume ends with uh, Scott beating the evil ex when he loses his vegan, his vegan abilities because um, it's revealed that he's not totally a vegan. He's been lying about it. He eats gelato. So that's three evil exes down. Volume four, the evil ex is actually uh, Roxy, who everyone was assuming the whole time that um, Ramona just had evil ex-boyfriends, but Roxy turns out to be a woman. Uh, at the time when the comic came out, that was a big deal and like a huge surprise because everyone was like, oh, my God, women could date? That's insane. Yeah, we have Katie characters in the comics already, but we're going to make it a big thing anyway. Um, and so he defeats her. And honestly, that vol volume, not a lot of stuff <laughs> happens. Um, it's just more relationship buildup and kind of like setting up towards the end game. Then volume five is when he has to fight two evil exes because Ramona cheated uh, in the past on twins was dating one, not telling the other one. And at the same time that these cheating allegations are coming up, Scott's uh, actual cheating also is coming up where Knives confronts Ramona and tells her that Scott cheated on both of them because by cheating on Knives, and like he didn't tell Knives about his relationship with Ramona. He didn't tell Ramona about his relationship with Knives. Uh, eventually he did break up with Knives in like a week's time or something between those, but he did cheat on Knives and Ramona. So that's a big deal. It's also like the penultimate uh, volume where everything kind of shit hits the fan. And uh, we kind of see Scott at, I don't want to say his worst, but trying to do his best. And then Ramona leaves at the end of that volume. And that's the big moment. So the seventh volume is the one where we fight the seventh evil ex is the one who orchestrated everything. He's Ramona's last ex-boyfriend and the most villainous of the seven. And... He, his name is Gideon. He sucks. He's the worst. Uh, and he was casted perfectly uh, in the movie. So that's great. So uh, Scott has to go on this huge redemption uh, montage of discovering himself and rediscovering. Um, well, he's trying to rediscover like the power of love in order to save Ramona. But he has to he ends up going to Kim and doing some montaging and he which is one of his friends who I never mentioned. Sorry. And then in the end, he has to uh, fight Gideon. They fight. Scott dies. Ramona saves him. Turns out she was never there anyway. He thought he went, she went back to Gideon, but she never did. It's a big thing. There's a big blow up. They all fight. And then the power of love wins. 
And I can't remember the other sword that Scott gets, but it's a really cool moment. You got to read the comic because I'm not doing it justice whatsoever. So that's basically the whole thing. It ends with Scott doing a huge redemption arc, especially in the last two volumes, um, where he kind of realizes like the kind of person he was and the kind of person he wants to be. Uh, the whole thing is about growing up and, you know, becoming a better person. And I think that's a great lesson that every comic is basically about in, in a way. So it's what makes comics peaks for me. And I love it. And I think you would love it, too, if you never read it. So don't listen to my bad synopsis. Go read the book yourself in color, I would say. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever experienced anything that has been colorized after black and white that I've liked better than Scott Pilgrim colored after being black and white. Like usually I'm a black and white purist. Like, let's grow up like the black and white thing. But with the sort of like very cartoony art style, there were so many characters that without like a hair color difference or something that really blended together in my head in black and white, where that never was a problem. I always knew who I was talking to at all times in the color version. And that wasn't yeah. always the case in black and white. And that's that's huge for something like this that is slice of life relationship comic. Like I've got to know who we're talking to. Yeah. It also did help reading it when it was coming out in black and white because you're reading a volume and then the next year you're reading the second volume and you're like, oh wait, who are these characters again? And they're giving you the names and everything, but you'll see a character excuse me, without a name right away. So like Julie Powers and Lynette Guycott, I always got mixed up all the time. And then they had another friend whose name I can't remember who always showed up like (laughs) once every volume, like one panel, just for them to be like, this is a person who's like really gossipy. And then she never shows up again to the next volume. And I would always get those three mixed up. And it was very frustrating to me. There's a joke about that in the last volume that made me laugh out loud when it was like (laughs) the original. They literally called it the original the other one? Oh yeah, that other one? Is yeah. how they label them? I died. I was like, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's been my experience too. And um, also like, the one thing I would say that is kind of funny about the book is that because it was black and white, there were some jokes designed specifically for black and white. So when it came to color, a lot of the, like some of the jokes got changed. So the big joke that got changed that I noticed and I thought was very funny was uh, Ramona's hair color she, like changed and then mm-hmm. Scott was like is that your natural hair color? color? And she looked in the black and white and the color version she looks up she's like this? Yes. I mean I don't know maybe. And when it's in black and white it's more funny because you're like we have no idea what color it is anyway but in color we kind of see the color we're like alright we know the color is like really silly so it's kind of like that's not our natural color but then in a little subtitle box underneath it, it says this joke was funnier in, in black and white. And I was like, yeah, it was. It's so like the book's very like understanding of the changes it goes through because of that. But it totally leans into it. And I think it's something you can only kind of do with comics. So that's great. So before we dive more deeply into why we love this story, it's very clear Evan and I, huge fans of Scott Pilgrim, um, Alexis and Anne, I would love to hear your opening thoughts on Scott Pilgrim. I'll go first. Um, I actually was really excited to read the comic for this because I actually watched the movie several times, I believe with Dallas growing up. Um, And I like have this fun, I haven't watched it in years though. Um, and I like kind of had this fun nostalgic, like, oh my gosh, like I know this story. This is gonna be fun. Like, it'll be fun to see where it came from. 
And so to like have that knowledge sitting in the back of my mind of like, yeah, I've got a rough outline of what I know the story is about, but then to just see it play out on the page and then me come to the realization. I remember I was reading yesterday, I think, and I was, I was reading and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> Scott's an ass. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not supposed to like him. <laughs> like I had that realization of like, I'm really not enjoying him very much in this book. I was like, am I missing the point? And I was like, oh no, that is the point. And I was like, oh, and then it made it kind of better after that. I was like, he is one of the evil ex-boyfriends. Um, and I got a good chuckle out of that. And it just is, I feel like, just a really funny commentary on like being an adult and like having relationships with your friends with all these people around you and like just realizing very often how everybody can just be an ass (laughs) like I was reading this and I was like oh there have been many times that I have been an ass to a lot of people around me and I just feel like it was the perfect mix of like commenting on that and having this fun um larger than life, like these funny fight scenes with the ex-boyfriends. I was like, this is so ridiculous. And I, I kind of love it. I love how silly it is. Like these big larger than life out of nowhere fights. Um, specifically also, isn't it knives dad that attacks him with the samurai sword? I belly laughed during that. I was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, no, that was really funny. And just like part, the part where, where the part where he speaks to knives in Chinese and she doesn't yes. understand yes. it <laughs> cracked me up. Was so good. What did he say? I don't know. It was in Chinese or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And yeah, no. It just was good. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, as soon as I realized that the point was for me not to really like Scott most of the time, I was like, oh, okay. I'll let myself like this more then. Because I was like, this guy's the worst. <laughs> but... I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Also, love the concept of the evil ex-girlfriend. Love how hot she was. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Envy. I was like, good for you, girl. Get him. (laughs) Slavery, Larson. So much. (laughs) Literally, though, I was like, "Mm, good for you. They picked a good actress. (laughs) And what? Okay, so, Alexis, did you have a favorite character? In the series. Well, we let Anne get set up. Mm, I love Wallace, his roommate. Wallace is hilarious. Hilarious. I love also like when they're introducing, like where they're like getting a lay of the land and it's like him labeling literally every single thing in their apartment and just as Wallace's. And then it like says Wallace's socks on Scott's feet. I was like, that's the funniest shit I've ever seen. (laughs) Every time Uh, Wallace calls him guy, I cracked up. Come on, guy. Hey, guy. Like, it's like that. I don't know why but that cracks me up. Yeah. And also, as someone whose best friend is gay that hits on him all the time, I also felt very seen by this. I was like, that's a very specific <laughs> relationship where, like, you know, they'd come for it. Like, Wallace is always like, hey, cute boy. And Scott's like, ah, <laughs> like, runs away. It's like, it's a the shared gag experience. Of them always like sharing, like, sleeping in the same bed and everyone being like, mm. and Scott was like, that was so funny to me. <laughs> Dallas really is the um, the Scott Pilgrim of this group because he's just a guy surrounded by gays. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yep. He's not Listen. even in the closet this episode. They let him out. <laughs> they let him out. 
So happy for you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It's look, been a he got a window. <laughs> I'm so, so happy. So mm. happy. I understand myself so much better now. Good. Good. We love that for you. You've, you've also achieved the sword and power up of understanding. Okay. I have so, been using the sword of delusion for way too long. <laughs> what does that sword look like? Does it work? It's um, not real. It's not a real sword. <laughs> it's smaller than whatever he says it is. Yeah, it's actually five foot eleven. <laughs> so it's like four one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So um, for me personally, for Scott Pilgrim, I had also I was in the same place Lexi was. Where it's, I'd seen the movie before, but I've I'm like a more recent Scott Pilgrim fan in that regard. I didn't see the movie until I think 2021, somewhere around that, just a few years ago. I knew you. I knew you. So whatever, like our time period yeah. was, I remember being shocked that that was the first time that you'd seen it. So within yeah. like the last three years. Oh, which absolutely. Is crazy. It's abs- it, it, it is crazy. It was because I watched it and I loved it. I thought it was such a fun, awesome and amazing movie. And then I'm like, oh, there's a comic about it. I'll get around to it eventually. And hello, eventually is now. I have to say, like, there's so much about this comic that I love because there was everything that I loved in the movie. And there's a lot of scenes from that movie that rip almost perfectly from the comic, especially in the first half. But then the further and further you get in this book, you realize there's so much that's done here in this comic that could never have been done in the movie, especially if what everyone is telling me online is true. And that the fact that the last couple of volumes weren't even out when the movie was in production. Um, they not. Volume makes, seven came out like days before the movie came out. I mean, synergy, but also it's just, it's really interesting to see those differences and what gets focused on what doesn't. Because you having to cram all of this into just like a two hour runtime, that's that's impossible. You would have had to make this like a Martin Scorsese length movie to fit everything if you wanted in here. Um, let the internet take that comment however they want. But it's, it, it, it's, it's insane. It, it was a beautiful experience. My only real Brian Lee O'Malley experience before was um, Lost at Sea, which is one of my favorite graphic novels ever. And I adore I adore it so much. And just to see, because that he did that before Scott Pilgrim. So to see the, the evolution of him as a creator, it just, it blew me away. Having read this now, I don't, <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to go back to the movie, honestly, because there's so much I loved in the book that brought me almost to tears. Then like, this just... It, it doesn't feel the same. The movie is still so much fun, but there's just an emotional weight to this book that is really, really special to me now. And it's definitely one of my favorite books that I've read this year. And one that's definitely going on my Christmas list. I agree. I I don't know what it was this time. Maybe I'm older. And mm-hmm. so like it resonated more. But I read this my freshman year of college, the whole thing. And I remember being like, I liked that. But like, mm-hmm. and I had the black and white collections. I sold them because I was like, I, I liked it enough to own it. But then like, I wasn't that sad when I sold it. And then reading mm-hmm. it again digitally, I went to Barnes and Noble and got them. Like it hit me so much harder this time. That I was like, this is a comic that has to be on my shelf. Like this resonated with me in such a big way. It was so funny. It was mm-hmm. so well done. Um, 
Um, that makes interesting so much, hearing. I mean, no, go ahead. No, no, you you go. I was going to change subject. I I was going to say it makes so much sense to me because this is a story about growing up and real and getting past you know that younger version of yourself and understanding who you want to be, the relationships you want to have with people. So it makes sense to me that like the older we get, the more and more this story will relate. Because I remember um, my <laughs> being in college and I would be. Um, at um this fraternity house which was, was my fraternity house we don't need to talk about it but they would always be playing the scott pilgrim video game and it was it, everyone there loved scott pilgrim they loved it so much and i don't i don't know i they, they thought it was fun they thought it was great but i think there's just getting past that age where you start to like have those moments where you look back at the person you used to be and have those moments you're like wow that was kind of weird that I did that or that I said that or that I thought this and that just that ability to have that retrospect and to have that ability to look at yourself and have that level of understanding of how far you've come and who you want to be I think it's makes all the sense in the world that this is a book that just gets better and better the older you get well I think when I first read it like I was an evil ex still you know what I mean like I was still Scott Pilgrim in the first three or four volumes of this series. And so like there was a catharsis reading this and being like, wow, I don't like you, Scott Pilgrim. And like, I'm happy I no longer relate to you, you know? And like, so there was this whole other element where like it felt, you felt fondly looking back at this like messy, crazy part of your life. But then also like you had the assurance that now you are past that. Like you are beyond, beyond relating to this book in that specific way, but still able to relate to it so much as just, oh man, I am so grateful that I had a messy early twenties surrounded by a bunch of other messy 20 somethings that were all dating each other, that were all being like, it just made me really grateful for the kind of life I got to live through early college and that that was an opportunity I had. Um, Lex, Anne mentioned that this was her second Brian Lee O'Malley comic. This is also your second Brian Lee O'Malley comic. He is the creator of Snot Girl. What? Ah! I don't know if you noticed, in volume six, there is a poster for Snot Girl in the back. I didn't uh, she's notice! Up, she's up on one of the walls um, as like a model. Um, so I know you're a huge fan of Snot Girl. How does it compare to Scott Pilgrim for you? And now knowing they're the same person, do you feel, see any connective tissue between the projects? Oh, that is such a good question. I like kind of had to think about it because it's been a while since I've read Snot Girl. Like I read Snot Girl in high school when you bought those for me. Um, oh my gosh, that, that's like so fun. I haven't even... I haven't thought about I haven't thought about her in a while. I feel so seen by her with somebody who has a stuffy nose all the time. Um no, that's so fun though. Like I that makes a lot of sense. They are both very fun, messy comics, if that makes sense. Like exactly what you said about like people being surrounded by other messy people. That is very much the similar vibe between the both of them. Um, I feel like for me with Snot Girl, like what I remember from it, um, it was very fun to read when I was in high school and I was being a little hooligan. I was like, oh, yes, look at her being a hooligan. This is great. Look, I'm being validated in my hooligan. Um, and so I kind of 
it might be a stretch because I've it's been a while since I read it, but I feel like Snot Girl feels like the female experience of what Scott Pilgrim is. <laughs> that's a funny observation. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's just hindsight, like looking back on it. But that's really fun. I didn't I didn't realize that. And now I'm going to go hunt for her poster on the wall. I want to piggyback off of you saying Snot Girl is the female experience of Scott Pilgrim. Evan... <laughs> How how do you think Brian Lee O'Malley did portraying what it feels like being a guy in his early 20s trying to figure out adult life? I think he nailed it pretty well. I think like <laughs> adult life has been like very chaotic, like of a transition. Um, I think <laughs> Scott had it. It feels like Scott had a little bit easier than everyone else because he got he had someone to coast off of completely. And I was so like, mad at him. <laughs> So yeah. regularly, I was like, fuck you. Like, yeah. you get to just not have a job. You get to sh- break down for two months and, like, yeah. people will let you live with them. Like, screw you, pal. Screw yeah. you. People that hate him will let him live with him. And I'm like, that's real love, man. All these people are just always like, oh, yeah, Scott, you suck. But, yeah, you crash on my couch. That's great. He had that. He, had, he got all Wallace's accommodations while he lived with them. Um, and then basically the same with Ramona. He just, like, lived in her apartment. So, I mean, he nailed, like, the the struggle of, like, you know, trying to navigate relationships and uh, finding a job and keeping work and yada, yada, yada. But I do think the, it's just that it's a little unrelatable because Scott specifically is such a lazy bum. And I can't – we're in America, too, so maybe that's a little bit different. Maybe Canada's really this wonderful, magical place. I doubt it. But um, here in America, we really have to, like – figure out what we're doing pretty early on or else we're going to literally be on the street or back at our parents, whichever comes first, which I guess Scott also ends up with. So works out. I thought it was really smart and telling in like volume five when his parents set him up with a new apartment, you know, Mm, and like it was pretty, it was pretty subtle and like the dad was kind of snide about it, but like Scott is absolutely someone who functions with a safety net. And I think it's really interesting that the people around him don't have that same safety net. And so they all resent Scott a little bit. Like all of the scenes where Kim and I forget his other band member's name. Uh, Young Neil Steven Stills. No, Neil. Steven? Steven Steven Stills? Yeah, Steven. Both Kim. No, it was was Steven. Kim and Steven both say like i hate your life i hate you and your life to scott when he like falls backwards into just ease and i think that captured a really interesting dynamic between him and the people around him and then the way that like and then at the end they say about him and ramona like maybe you two are made for each other because she also like ramona also sucks you know yeah like they suck in the same way and I think it's, I love a story that lets you hate the protagonist a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. we're definitely in an era of leads to stories needing to be moral paragons. Mm -hmm. And something like Scott Pilgrim just hit like a big bucket of ice water in the most refreshing way this week where you're like, gosh, everyone in here sucks so bad. And it is so interesting Mm -hmm. and entertaining 
and Mm -hmm. reflects parts of my life that like, it lets me grapple with parts of my life where I felt like I sucked. It lets me reminisce and laugh about parts of my life where like in hindsight, it sucks, but it's way funnier because I'm not in it anymore. And I just, and it also, it does this thing where it's so hyper specific, it becomes universal again. Like I, Mm. I was talking about music with some friends recently and they talked about the difference between music that is trying to be universal and it's just like, oh, love feels like a big swelling in your chest. And they just say these big, broad platitudes that ultimately make it so broad that no one really resonates with it anymore. It's like, yeah, duh. Like, sure. That's what it feels like. And then there are like these, I mean, for Alexis and I specifically, we're both big Taylor Swift fans. Like she writes about these really hyper-specific experiences that she had and i'm like i have never once escaped from the met gala by like sliding into someone's car to get away from this ex but like i have not just slid away car tom hiddleston's car tom hiddleston's car (laughs) (laughs) like that has never will never happen to me but it is so true to her experience and like that it resonates more and scott pilgrim felt that way where i'm like I've never had to, no one has ever had to fight seven evil exes, but like it felt so true and it felt so shitty in a real way that it resonated again. And then there were little moments that like were real. Like I was like <laughs> sleeping in the same bed as your gay best pal. I was like, I've done, I've done that. I went through all of Europe being like, ah, let's sleep butt to butt. And everyone will give us shit for this for the rest of my life. But hey, it's cheaper this way. <laughs> and just I love this book. I love it so much. I I love what you're talking about with the moral paragons cuz I that's something that I've definitely noticed too and I've definitely talked about before. I feel like we're in an age where with the the advent of social media and things like you know, the, the social dogpiling and canceling and things like that. Everyone wants to put off the front where it's like, I am the characters that I relate to. And I need those characters to show that I am also a moral paragon. I need people to not find my faults. I don't need them to find my flaws because the moment they do, it's over. It's it's done. There is no moving past it because we've come to the point where as a collective consciousness, people cannot grow, people cannot change. And I need to make sure that whatever's in my past is is hidden. And I think it takes a lot of emotional maturity and bravery to get to that point where you're like, I'm not a perfect person. I've never been a perfect person. But that's the point because you're supposed to keep moving, keep changing, get past it, become a better person every single day. And I think that's why characters like Scott Pilgrim are so interesting, but also so hard to find these days because it's the, the further and further we go along, the harder it is to get real people like that who will be fully out there being like, I've not always been perfect, but I'm doing better. And this is a story about that person making that understanding about themselves that they they are trying to do better. And it's just, I think it's something that more people should be open to experiencing. Yeah. It's like you you are not the per, the people, you're not the characters you like. You can like a character that is complex and messy because people are complex and messy. It doesn't say that you are someone who will go out and date like a 17-year-old. That would be ridiculous. It just says <laughs> that you understand that people are complicated creatures. And exploring the de- depth there is what literature and what art is all supposed to be about. 
Yeah, and I think also something that's missing a lot from a lot of modern audiences, it feels like, just from, you know, our bubble that I always see of people complaining and what their major complaints seem to stem around is there's like a, a lack of patience from a lot of people to let mm-hmm. a story progress. Um, because from the most part of the story, it seems like Scott has an understanding of what's going on. And it's not until the end that he realizes like, oh, I don't get it. I don't, I didn't understand what these evil exes were. I didn't understand that I was on the verge of becoming one of these evil exes or that they are like a reflection of a worse version of me. Like it's at the end where he gets the power of understanding because he can look at Gideon and see Gideon, you know, the moment of Gideon, like losing Ramona the same way that Scott lost Ramona. And he says, oh, we had the same life, the same privileges, and then had the same splitting path of like that moment of like, we lost everything or we thought we lost like the one person that we thought was everything. So Scott got to understand that without ever slipping into that, you know, eighth evil X uh, visage. So I think without that buildup, though, like if that happened in volume one, there wouldn't be one, a need for five more volumes, but also the five, the five more volumes would be mute. So you need that patience of being like, yeah, he sucks. He doesn't get it, even though he thinks he gets it. And he doesn't even know how much of a redemption arc he's going on yet. He thinks he's just fighting evil exes for like at least three or four volumes. But it all was worth it just to see this character kind of come full circle and be like, I can look back now and see I was, me and Ramona one are pretty similar. We both ran away from our passes. We keep trying to forget and move on and uh, and leave um, our struggle or our baggage behind. And him fighting the evil exes is him fighting Ramona's baggage and Ramona having to confront her own baggage as well. So I think that's something that, again, is hard because we always want our characters to be, uh, like you were saying, a reflection of what we see in ourselves. Um, and a lot of people don't want to look at the negative parts in themselves. And I think that is a disservice because then you miss out moments like this and Scott Pilgrim, where you look back and say, oh, I could see myself in this. One, that's something I could work on. Or two, I'm glad I got past that. So comics should be about confronting darker parts of ourselves so that we can confront, you know, our reality and move forward and always like strive to be a better version of ourselves. So Alexis, and then Anne, I want some of this from you as well. Mm-hmm. As fans of other problematic fave, Nesta Archeron, what do you think is the value of shitty people in literature? And maybe talk a little bit about how you feel like the gang from Scott Pilgrim relates to the gang from Prithian with all of their infighting and squabbling and mess. I'm sorry I'm leaving you out of this one, Evan, but I, it's okay. I got to hear from the gals yeah, talk about, about your nerd shit. our fairy smut. <laughs> First of all, I just got to say, hot take. It might not be a hot take. I know I'm not the only one that has this opinion. I love Nesta. She can do no wrongs, even though she does really, really try to do a lot of wrongs. I feel very seen by her as someone who has been a villain my entire life. Um, I love her. I'm not the right person to ask this, but <laughs> she is a terrible person. No, I will say she's a terrible person. She preys on her little sister's emotions outrageously. She takes mm-hmm. out all of her generational trauma on the one person who has tried to break it. Um, and she she dabbles with a lot of 
self-loathing and also um, <laughs> yeah she has opinions too sorry i might have to pause yeah, junie has so, thoughts <laughs> and what yeah. do you think the value of a character like nesta or like scott pilgrim is I, in the story I like specifically not just like letting them be bad but like that's a major part of them is that they're being yeah. shitty it's not just like mm-hmm. we're allowing that space that's what drives the story forward What's the value of that? I I think it's for reflection because it's the one thing that these characters need the most and that they don't understand. It's because <clears throat> we see I have um for the full reference for anyone listening. I have not finished the current um a Court of Thorns and Roses series yet. I have one book left to go, but at the pace I'm going, it'll be done in about the time this episode goes up. Um, do you know yet who that book is about? Have you guessed? No, I don't. I haven't. But the Christmas special is like a soft prologue into okay. number five. That's kind of what I'm, I thought. You'll love it. Uh, okay. I, actually, I don't know. I'm so curious what you think because m- most people love it, but Addison and I are both pretty indifferent to it. But okay. I interrupted you. You continue. No, no, that that's completely fine. Um, I think that the interesting thing about characters like Nesta and char- you see it in characters like Scott and Ramona is the further and further the story goes along is they get to that point where they start to understand that their actions are having consequences. Like Nesta understands, even if she won't say it, I think she understands the sacrifices that Feyre made for her when she was younger. And I think Scott and Ramona both understand the mistakes they've made in their past relationships. And they get to that breaking point where they have to either face it or run from it. And I think the part where Ramona leaves Scott and the the part where Scott tries to find um, some sort of um, solace in the arms of his lover's past, right there in that second act turn is right where Nesta is currently, for me in the series, right before we're starting the second trilogy, where she understands that she's being a, you know, an absolute bitch. And um, she's trying to distance herself. She's trying to find comfort. She's trying to find... Um, a reason for it to be okay. And she feels like if I just sit here in self-loathing long enough, it'll make things better. It'll keep me away from everyone that I've hurt. It'll keep me where I deserve to be and everything will be fine. But it keeps her from actually facing up to everything that she's done. It keeps her from saying, I am a bad person. And instead of feeling sorry for myself for it, I need to embrace that and move forward in my life and take the good things that are happening and, you know, make things better, engage in those relationships and and grow. There is an inability for a lot of people out there to face the darkness inside themselves and to grow from it. And I think it's the characters like that that really show you how toxic it can be when the one thing you refuse to confront is yourself. And so I think that's really what toxic characters do best is they show you like, it's holding up a mirror and being like, this is the worst version of yourself. It is the the mirror of Ouroboros. It's like, you need to understand you have to accept this part of yourself as well as all the good things. And if you don't, you're going to go fucking insane. That's exactly what I... You're so smart. Thank you. Thank you. Lex, did you have anything you wanted to finish before Junie cut you off? 
No, because I want to be vague because I want Anne's real opinions on the fifth book. So I'll just keep them to myself. <laughs> she, she, she put it exactly how I wanted to without spoilers. So okay. I'm do so with that what you will. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get into porn the novel. It literally is, but also with a side of like horrible, horrible trauma that will make you question your entire life oh, choices. Good. So good. you know, it, pair, it pairs really well. <clears throat> so you know, one of these days crazy. I'll get to the. We got the gay characters popping up now. Now the moment the gay They're smut there. scenes start happening, be like, we're we're in for business. We're we're rocking and rolling. I get it now. I see the whole picture. I'm that Danny DeVito meme. <laughs> It'll be great. Love it. So, Evan, shifting back into a conversation you can talk about, I think one of the major things that I took away from what Anne was talking about with our ability to grow and move on from the past, I think one of the major hindrances to society and personal growth that social media has secretly introduced is creating a never-dying archive of who we were that people can always access. And so it does feel like there is no, I'm not that person anymore because it's always still there. It is forever. How do you think the story of Scott Pilgrim would change if it was set today instead of at the birth of the internet and around early video games? Like this book is so in its moment with Amazon still being a book selling store (laughs) that I think it would change a lot and maybe the messages would change a lot if it was trying to capture today's internet culture instead of 2003s? I am. That's a good question. I'm not sure how much would change. I think there might be more and more of an emphasis on the quote unquote mob mentality that internet kind of, that's not new to the internet, but the internet kind of like encapsulates itself around and also the spreading of misinformation. I think there was a little bit of touch up on that with the use of NB Adams already, um, because she has like all these fans who see her as his paragon who can't do any wrong. And so when like Ramona punches her, uh, everyone's just like, what are you doing? Why is that woman attacking Envy? You suck, lady. And Ramona's like, but you guys saw like how evil she is and everything. She's like, what are you talking about? We love her. She's great. So there's already a little bit of that in the book. I think it might get more pushed because of like, I think the internet does that a lot now where they have this idea of a person um, and they'll do a lot of stuff and a lot of mental backflips to preserve that image. But if that person does do something wrong, I think more so nowadays than back then, especially with celebrities, there was less of, there's more of now, um, an abandonment, a complete abandonment of somebody if they do anything that's perceived wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's like justified or not justified. I think it's just observation and it's very case by case uh, for me. But yeah, there is like a a mentality of just like jumping away from someone entirely. So I wonder if there would be something like that. I don't know about for Scott in particular because Scott's friends are by design supposed to stick with him basically through till the end um, even when he does all this shitty stuff. But Maybe for a different character, there might be someone who's loved in the beginning, does one thing wrong in volume three, and then everyone kind of just abandons, you know, in a way. Again, can't think of like how that would work into the story. I think the story, if they wanted to change it for modern day, would have to do a lot of reflection and then just a total 180 on some areas. But 
for the most part, I think the story is universal enough and of its time enough that just minor changes like the use of, uh, you know, smartphones uh, more or, you know, <laughs> just not calling Amazon a bookstore, like small things like that would make it feel like it came out today. Like if you told me this book was new for today and said it takes place between, you know, the years 2020 and 2021 or something, and they just updated some of the language, uh, especially in my copy of the book where they used the R word, which I was like, whoa, the first time. And then by the seventh time, I was like, whoa, <laughs> how many times? Jesus Christ. So uh, there's little things like that that I think like didn't age well at all. Um, and I also think like, um, well, maybe not because I'm, I'm not straight. So I don't know if this is like uh, something that straight people are more about. Uh, I'll, I'll chime thing. in. Listen, but I, I'm the finally way being that, called upon. <laughs> like the way that um, they talk about queer relationships and freak out about them. Is that something really straight people still do? No, um, I don't. Okay. Even like my my barometer for like young conservatives are like, I have a cousin that is still a cowboy. And yeah. like even he who is like riding horses will be like, well, hell, they're gay. Who cares? Like, the left truly won that fight with our generation. Like, I don't know anyone our age that cares at all. Like, yeah. I definitely know people. My thing is, like, these characters are, like, very clearly like, pretty, like, liberal to centrist, right? So I don't think yeah. anyone's strictly conservative. So I'm just looking at that mind frame, I, I would say. But I definitely have met conservative people our age um, and younger. Who are just like gays are going? Not they didn't. They don't sound like that. But they're like gays are going to hell and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, hold on, let's let's back the, up, kid. You know the like hard right wing, <laughs> the hard right wing shift of Gen Alpha as like a microcosm has been fascinating to watch and terrifying. I'm like, oh, we got to nip that in the bud. But also like, how the hell is that happening? <laughs> like just from a sociological standpoint, like what the hell? But that's not really for a Scott Pilgrim. Comic no, book podcast. That's not for this one. Yeah, no. uh, so yeah, I don't. I really don't know uh, what other major changes they could really make. That, like I said, the book just already feels very modern to me, and I think they already did a little bit of touching up of stuff that became bigger, quote unquote, problems with because of the internet's growth uh, nowadays, just in smaller scales. I am an enormous fan of slice of life stories, and. What's funny is that's basically all I like from movies and television at this point. Like, I like pretty genre-less television and movies, just sort of, this is someone's life. This is what's going on with them. But I'm shocked at how little of that exists in my literature intake. I realized reading this this week, I was like, I don't read a lot of slice of life comics and I don't read a lot of literary fiction novels. Like there's always a genre to what I'm reading. And so I was wondering, do any of you have good recommendations of comics or books that I should check out coming off of how much I loved Scott Pilgrim? Because I read a lot this week. I was home alone. I read for like 10 hours a day and nothing hit like Scott Pilgrim did. And I think that might be it is that it's slice of life and there's not also like giant sci-fi robots in the back, which I'm not trying to diss. <laughs> I love giant sci-fi robots. Two of my other favorite things this week were the movie, the killer starring Michael Fassbender, which I loved. 
And then I read one of the Parker novels, the seventh in one sitting and like, and don't read that book. Okay. But Evan, Evan, <laughs> read that book. Right, I'll read it. <laughs> it was crazy. And don't read it. You'll, it was four pages before someone was fridged like that. Just do yourself a favor. And just like, it was the inciting incident within four pages. Yeah. So just not a safe space for Anne's. Um, I love you so much. Holy shit, that book cooked. <laughs> I was on page 100. It was 1 a.m. Just tears rolling down my eyes. Not because I was sad, but just because I was like, I haven't stayed up this late in a long time and I'm finishing this damn book. I'm not going to bed. I got to know how he's going to kill this guy. <laughs> so I like genre, but what other great slice of life stories do we feel like we can point people towards? Have you and people heard of this? <laughs> Have you heard of this small little comic called Giant Days? Oh, <laughs> you know, I think I have. I think I, I think I'm, I sold some that out comics there. to make room for the hardcover collections under my bed. So <laughs> I'm so glad you finally got those. I'm so glad. I I am too. I it was hard watching everyone else live the life that I wanted. I was so scared for a while. I was too. Turns out I just hadn't paid for shipping. Which I don't know how that happened. They had my credit card information. Why did I have to push a button again? I said, give me another 10. I don't know. Lexi, would you say that Snot Girl is a good place to go if people love Scott Pilgrim? I I had a lot of fun with it. I would suggest it to people. I kind of want to circle back to it now because it's been a while. (laughs) And I have them. I literally have the papers. do, Do you feel like Strangers in Paradise had any common DNA with this? I think so. I'm only one volume in of the pocket editions, and it's it's definitely a lot more serious of a book than Scott Pilgrim, but it is on that same slice of lifestyle where people get into really messy situations, and the relationships get really complex, and the lines are not always, you know, completely black and light white they get blurred a lot and it's it's really interesting from that perspective if you like slice of life stories that have more complex angles to them then that's really what i've gotten a lot of from um strangers in paradise so far there there is still that bit of comedy but it is definitely a much much more serious story than scott pilgrim is okay okay i confession i sent you my pocket edition mm-hmm. before i ever read it because it sat on my <laughs> shelf for like two years and i hadn't read it yet and i was like this deserves to live with someone who's going to read it right now <laughs> so i'll have to circle back around to that series i i would say you know just staying on the brian Lee o'malley train i'm always going to plug lost at sea for people who want a good story about growing up and people trying to find their place in the world it's a much more somber tale but it's a, a lot of the same themes get hit. It's it's truly a book that helped change my life. I, I was weeping by the end of it. Like it. How about you, Evan? What are some slice of life tales that you like? So I feel like I've read a lot of slice of life and I can't remember any of them except for right now, the only one that comes to mind that I love and I think about not enough, but every time I think about it, I get like happy and like sad again. It's Life is Strange. Life is Strange is like a video game 
that came out in like 2012 and it was had the most cringy dialogue of all time it was a very fun <laughs> like telltale-esque game where you're like oh make a decision oh but you also get like this sci-fi quirk of the main character can reverse time and so you have to put up with this dialogue where they're going like wow it's lit city swagger oh gee and they're all white by the way so you're like all right Let's let's keep it going. So rather, but it's like a very emotional tale, and it's a fun mystery, regardless. The first game, um, and so there's comics based on the first game um, that basically is like, oh, if you made this decision at the end, here's the next part of that story. There's like a very split morality decision where spoiler for Life is Strange season one. If you haven't played it, it came out a decade ago. It's on you. But at the end, you have to decide if you rather save uh, your girlfriend or the city or like the small town you live in. So either a thousand people literally just wipe off the face of the planet or just you let your one girlfriend die who was supposed to die, but you saved by rewinding time. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty complex moral dilemma of like, do you, will you sacrifice this many people for the sake of one? Or it's like the life of one that you, one person you love worth a thousand, including mind you, her parents, but that's <laughs> a conversation for another story. So, uh, I think it's, I can't remember which ending it goes off of. I think it goes off the ending where you let the city die and you, you save the girl. Um, but after that, I think the comics are a thousand times better than the game. The game, like I said, is fun. But if I'm putting a number rating on it, it's like a 6 or 7 out of 10. Meanwhile, the comics are like a 10 out of 10. And all you have to do to get into it is like do a quick Google 20-minute research of like, what happened in the first game? All right, I'm done. And then you go and read the comics. And it's this emotional tale about you know, one living with consequences and what love looks like after that and what losing love can look like after you so quote unquote saved it. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it's very similar to Scott Pilgrim. I would say it's between Scott Pilgrim and the other comic you were talking about where it's, it takes itself more seriously than Scott Pilgrim, but it still knows how to like come back and have like fun. And it's very slice of life and there's still sci-fi shenanigans in it, but it's not so much, uh sci-fi as the games mm-hmm. did because the game was a video game and it's a book so i would definitely pitch that i love those comics and zoe thorogood is doing another life is strange comic that's coming out uh, uh 2024 that's based off the third game which is the best game in the series hands down like not like bar none like that game is like a nine out of ten the other one's I don't like the second game. Someone else is going to disagree with me. That's fine. I thought it was sloppy. Uh, but what they were trying to do, I was like, cool. Because they were trying to tell a story about siblings, which I really liked. Uh, but then they tried to, they did like a very political story about that. And I think all the stuff they were trying to hit never hit the mark it was trying to hit. And it came off very bad. It just came off wrong to me. <laughs> so even though I agreed with what they were trying to say, I was like, you guys just handled this story very poorly. So uh, and it's not a video game podcast. So the second game, I would say, is you should play it, get your own opinion, but I didn't like it. But the third game, mwah, Chef's Kiss, a masterpiece. Beautiful, concise, mysterious, sci-fi, gay. It has everything. So all these games are gay if you want them to be. So play them. Yeah. And also read the comics, more importantly. You, I have a... I'm just talking... I mean hit a bunch of stories where it's like, this is very similar, but it's not going to be as lighthearted as Scott Pilgrim. Is there any comic out there that shares a similar comedic style to Scott Pilgrim? Because I'm not sure if I can name one. This is such I an only uniquely giant funny and fun comic. Giant Days. 
Giant Days is yeah. the only one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Well, it's not the same like you were saying, Ann. It is, mm-hmm. It's definitely still different. But I think Giant Days and Scott Pilgrim are like the only two comics that had me consistently, like every other page, like doing a, a hearty chuckle. Mm-hmm. Which would be my question for the group is, what was your favorite joke from the book? <sighs> I need a second Small to question, think. then. Yeah. I could, um, I could fill in the void real quick. I really liked... Okay. I already said the color, the hair color change. I like that joke. Another joke I really liked was when they defeat Gideon and all the coins like scatter <laughs> everywhere and then they're up in the air and everyone's looking up with amazement and wow. And they come down like missiles and everyone's like freaking out and getting pelted by coins. I, I laughed so say. hard at that. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> so it's okay. Hard. I can think of another one, but that one like literally had me cackling. I was like, this is really? the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever seen. They're all just like, wow. And then, Thunks them all right in the head. I've got two. I one that I will always hear in Michael Sarah's voice and gets quoted in my house probably once a week is bread makes you fat. (laughs) I love garlic bread. I could eat garlic bread every single day. Yeah, I could too, except it would make you fat. Oh, it wouldn't. Yes, it would, Scott. Bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat. That's so (laughs) funny. And then she punched the highlights out of her hair. <laughs> that <laughs> killed me. Yeah. Killed me. It punched I do the love the scene of where she's getting her highlights, though, where Knives is like doing her hair. Because I just yeah. always like will play that. Like I was playing it side by side with the scene from the movie, which I think the scene from the movie is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my entire life, where she's like yelling into the bathtub and her friend's like, I literally can't hear a single word you're saying. Like, what are you saying? She's just just like going off. I think that's so funny. <laughs> Having been a girl in high school, that's very real. <laughs> also, the little cat being named Gideon, and then Scott oh. trying to be like, "It's because you were the cat." And Gideon's like, "No, I wasn't." Wait, you named your cat after me? And Ramona's like, "I was trying to get through." I it. do stuff in my own ways. That's <laughs> so funny. This book made me laugh I, almost every page. Yeah, I love the. It's it's one that's funnier in retrospect because there's um, what's what's his face um Stevenson, yeah um, Steven the Stills. guitarist, and Steven his Stills, boyfriend yeah. at the end of the book when they're first meeting each other and they're doing like the recording in the room and there's that moment where they're just he's Scott's like outside the door he's like hey you there and he's like well, what should I tell him he's like tell him we're making magic in here and he's like hey we're making magic in here I need you to come back later I I love that one very much because. Yeah, they were um they were definitely making magic. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> I nope. could have sworn that I had never read this series before, based on how many things were just fully new. Like I did not remember that Stephen Stills was gay at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Like that was brand new information for me, and I've read this book before. So, <laughs> shout out to me. Shout out to past me's reading comprehension. Like I don't know that the finished 25-year-old brain has hit anyone harder than me. I truly don't believe I read a single thing or watched a single thing before I was 25 years old. Because it's all new information now. Like, I, I was like, oh, I now understand and will remember. Like, everything else was a joke before this. That makes me feel comforted as a, comforted as a 22-year-old. Nothing matters. No. Girl, I, I can't I think- explain to you how much it's just a wasteland before 25. <laughs> like you just gotta start over again you just gotta be like every one of my favorite movies i'm gonna watch it again and understand it for the first time yeah that's a mood Beautiful. there's um I t- every line in this book gets so much funnier 
having seen the movie, because I still picture everyone's voice as their character. I think this was one the movie, you know, for its its flaws and its its benefits. It is one of the best cast movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Everything is Scott like it is is perfect. It is spot on. I have to go against the group on this one. I yeah, I, I, think, I have Umbridge. You go, Evan. Yeah. Okay. I think the looks, they look pitch perfect. In terms of casting in that direction, they nailed it. But I remember reading Scott Pilgrim and then seeing the movie, or at least reading most Scott Pilgrim and then seeing the movie. And I had this voice in my head. And then I watched the movie and it was Michael Sarah's voice. And I was like, I don't agree with this whatsoever. I think Michael Sarah nailed it. And for the again, for the movies. I think also like most of the cast, like Kim Pine's voice, uh, character, uh, actor, I, I definitely hear her voice. Ramona Flowers, I don't hear Mary Elizabeth Winston's voice, but that might be a personal thing, even though I love Mary Elizabeth <laughs> Winston. Um, Lee Price, 100% Chris Evans. Uh, and Todd Ingram, like, you know, I also hear as, uh, oh shoot, what's his face? Brandon Ralph. Superman. Yes, thank you. I love mm-hmm. him. Um, and Gideon, I also hear as, uh, what's his face? Uh, the guy I like. Um, but, Adam Schwartz? Adam Schwartz, yes. But a lot of the other and, and Knives Chow. So like half, I guess half of it I do hear in their voice and everything. But like Sky is like the main character. And since he didn't have the voice I was looking for specifically, mm-hmm. I think it ruined the whole image for me. But then I saw the trailer for the anime Scott Pilgrim, which is why I suggested we should do Scott Pilgrim this month. Um, and I think like he, uh, Michael Sarah really is nailing closer to the voice of what I heard for Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's actually voice acting, which I was surprised by because I thought everyone's going to like just do their regular voice. So I'm very happy with his voice now, but just straight Michael Sarah voice, I don't love for Scott. Mm-hmm. I think it makes him too charming because Michael Sarah is pathetic sounding, but he is like a charming guy and he always comes off like awkwardly charming in everything he does. And I think Scott should come off as a pathetic loser and everything. And he should only win any charming awards by accident. Really, like when he's like asking Ramona out the whole time, it's pathetic. He's a loser. It shouldn't work, but it does because of like one sentence he says wins her over, and she's like, "All right, I'll give you a chance." And then it's just like all kind of technically uphill from there. So that's my only gripe with it. You said everything I was gonna say, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I will concede one. I do not like whatever. Calkin kid it was who played Wallace. I don't think he was good for the role. <gasps> that hey, that's me. If you get to have your controversial take, I get to have mine too. That was mine. I don't like Yeah, but mine's right. That's the difference. You're incorrect, Dan. You are incorrect. <laughs> that's crazy. <sighs> you gotta go watch Succession right now to apologize. Yeah. Like, was he playing Wallace in Succession? Because if he was, then I'll go watch it. But otherwise, I failed to see Succession. how that was you know, relevant to my point. Just get the hell out of here. Um, <laughs> this is crazy. Let's bang out these questions real quick. Cause I got 20 minutes. All right. Hell yeah. Glenn. Oh no, I'm sorry. Jacob Von Gemmerin writes in and says, hello, comics collective, which changes made in the movie version. Did you like, and which ones didn't you like? Are there any changes you're hoping for in the Netflix show? I, my main thing is I want Ramona's arc to be fully set there at the, at the end. Because her and Scott really have like a side-by-side thing going that gets so strong in that third act. And she plays such an important role there. And I don't want it to be regressed again to just, hey, she's going to fight Knives for a little bit. And 
she's going to knee um, Gideon once, and that's about it. I want to see Ramona come to the same self-understanding that Scott gets to. I think this book does a great job of giving everybody a pretty solid moment. Like, I think every character mm-hmm. in this has an arc and is important to the story. My favorite character is Kim Pine, and which somehow didn't come up in this hour-long recording. But I love Kim Pine. What? <laughs> I said, I <laughs> mentioned her once. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, I didn't talk about how much I adore this character. And that's absolutely off the back of the comic and not the movie. Not to say she is funny and she's a great part of that movie. But that movie is the Scott Pilgrim show. Which, I mean, that's the name of the movie. But, like, everyone else is there in the moments that they are most important to Scott and his story. Whereas mm-hmm. in the comic book, it really feels like he is just our main point of view into this larger world of interesting and dynamic characters. And so I hope which, the Netflix show allows more space for that. Which is the point, because Scott comes to the understanding at the very end where he's like, oh, everyone else is a person too, and I should probably treat them like people instead of using them for my own personal needs. And if the movie gives you the impression that, oh, they are just all around Scott, then it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the story. It's a great point. The big thing I want to see in the anime uh, that wasn't included in the movie uh, is Lisa Miller. She is one of my favorite characters. I think she is just really fun. And she ends up being an important part of uh, Scott's arc and realization. And I understand why she was cut from the movie. And But it, for some reason, I still love her. I loved her as a kid. And I love her now. And every time she pops up, I'm like, yeah! Or like she's in the flashback scene like uh, that they show like after volume one. And I was like, there she is! But you don't see her again for five volumes that she shows up. I'm like, yeah! She's a character now. And does she have a real arc? A little bit, but not really. Is she a real like character? A little bit, but I don't know. She's fun. And I hope she gets something to do in the anime. Even if it's just for a flashback again. I loved Lisa too. <laughs> I was like, look at her with her cute little clips in high school. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> When she told Scott that she was accidentally skanky and then just leaned yeah. into it because she saw that he liked it, I was like, you're so real for that, girl. Mm-hmm. You're so real for that. I loved her. All of, Yeah, her funny like conversations with him were my favorite. When she toasts him about being a made-up jock, and he was like, what are you talking about? I am a jock. <laughs> no, you're not, Scott Pilgrim. And she's like, mm, okay. <laughs> Lex, do you want to read Glenn's question? Yes, I do. I do. Okay. It says, hi, evil exes. Number one, Scott Pilgrim movie, Mae Whitman plays an evil ex. I'm a big fan of their work, but can't remember the name of their character from Arrested Development. It might be a dumb name. It's Egg. Her name is Egg. (laughs) That's a great joke, Glenn. Is that for real? No, it's that she is, she plays it. So that's the, the girlfriend. She yeah, dates um, She dates Michael Sarah in Arrested Development. And the dad does thinks that he can do better. He thinks his son, Michael Sarah can do better. And she oh, is just yeah. like incredibly boring and quiet. And so the running joke is she has to reintroduce herself <gasps> every time she's in the show. And the dad keeps being like, who's this? And she's like, I, it's... And then she'll be me. like, it's from... <laughs> And he keeps calling her name's Anne, but he keeps calling her Egg. 
because she eats. <laughs> she oh, it's foul, but I have to tell you, she makes deviled eggs in her mouth, where she has a hard-boiled egg, and she'll like bite into it, and then she'll squirt some mayonnaise in her mouth, and she'll like swish it all around. <laughs> and Michael Sarah describes this in like this endearing, it's so cute way, and his dad is just sitting there like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. It's so funny. I. I'm an enormous fan of Arrested Development. I think that's the funniest show that's ever been on television. And that was, Glenn, we're best pals. <laughs> Good, because this next question is going to not be best pals with Anne anymore. Um, question number two. The actress who plays Envy Adams in the movie is not very good. What happened to her? Question mark. Currently awaiting death. Yours, Glenn. <laughs> Damn. Straight to jail. <sighs> No comment. No comment. Um, Glenn, you know what you did. We will be in. We will be in touch soon. Um, there is nowhere you can be able to hide. You're. It's just. Even hope if you your do will's across the globe. in order. Yep. I know exactly where you are. I know your street address. Listen, I I will not be seeing her movie that came out this weekend, but her television show, uh, Lessons, <gasps> Lessons in Chemistry, in chemistry? that is on Apple TV right now, might be my Class. favorite show of the year. It is an incredible television show. And she is absolutely the driving force behind that. I think it's my favorite acting work from Brie Larson in recent mm-hmm. memory. It's a phenomenal television show. Gosh, it I is. Listen, your mom has read the book and your mom will tell you she loved the book. <laughs> okay. I'm offended. And the television show is better than the book. I read the book and I'm 22. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's I'm great. reading the book right now. The show it's is great. so good. I'm reading the book. Okay. I do it, Lexi. It's okay. I was getting that mom thing for telling them they should read all the light we cannot see. I was <gasps> also getting the mom. And 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 I love that book. See, see, I mean, Dallas. It did win you were right. I'm just a middle aged mom in a 22 year old body. Okay, I've come to terms with that. That's correct. I don't do anything exciting. All right. And I don't even have um, talking about. Oh no, we got we got to keep moving. I can't talk about that movie. Let's go. Sorry. And do you want to read off Kurt's question? Yes. So Kurt wrote in, Greetings Collective, Scott Pilgrim, and Brian Lee O'Malley's work more broadly probably hit me harder as a young teen than any other piece of media. The humor, the hanging out with your friends who are cooler than you vibe, and especially the art really spoke to me when I first read it. It's one of those experiences with art that helped push me towards wanting to make art myself, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I feel like O'Malley's cartooning has one of those styles that makes you think, maybe could I learn to draw like this? My question is, have any of you guys had an experience like that where a piece of media creatively energizes you or gets you interested in trying to draw, write, or start any other creative pursuit? Best wishes, Kurt. I have an answer right away. Yes. I always was like, I would love to write something someday. Like at some point in my life, I would love to be, to write a novel. And then I read Stephen King's On Writing. And I was like, I want to be a novelist. Like, I want to write right now. And I have written every single day since reading that book. Like, if you want the fire to do whatever you are creatively passionate about and to make it feel like it is not just some pipe dream, but it's your more, it's the flame inside your chest. It is the thing that gets you up in the morning. I recommend On Writing by Stephen King. It absolutely changed my life. And I, I'm very hopeful that this time next year I can say like that was where it started and this is the rest of my life right now because that book is amazing. I love On Writing by Stephen King. 
Uh, for me as a kid, I think uh, I, I wanted to be an artist before I, I ended up deciding, oh, I'm better as a writer. Uh, but Scott Pilgrim and Ultimate Spider-Man were the two big inspirations for me being like, wow, art, like comics are cool. And also, I really, really want to draw in this, like these two styles, which are very drastically different. But I really like that Mark Bagley is able to capture the physique of characters and also give them personality and he has that blend where he gets close to like make the character realistic but still very comic-y and i always love that about his uh work especially in ultimate spider-man which I, I think is his peak work so that was very inspirational to me and scott pilgrim was just so fun and bombastic and the characters are so expressive uh expressive that it made me uh just happy to be a part of it and to this day, uh, both those books for my writing are a big inspiration, especially Venice's dialogue. I know people chirp on it all the time, but he writes dialogue that feels realistic, even though it is like run on and blah, 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 and interruptive. But I'm like, that's what, I don't know. Every time I talk to someone, I'm always just like, this This is basically what Venice was trying to do. And I thought it came across very true. It's not perfect for every type of comic, but in like Ultimate Spider-Man, which is supposed to be like a modernization and feel real, it worked really, really well when characters are talking over each other or like can't communicate or articulate what they're trying to say because they're 15 years old. So shout out to Brian Michael Bendis gets a lot of hate, but I love him. Listen, Except you, for that one issue. And you know what you did. I don't know what I have to say. Bendis boys. Civil we're War 2. Boys. Boys. We know, we boys, know. Boys, boys, boys. No, Civil War 2, I could excuse. Boys, boys, boys. No, no, no. It's okay. We appreciate you standing up for Carol Danvers. I No, I, I like really the first issue of Civil War 2. <laughs> And, and the and second in, one. And then kept getting lower, lower. Anne and Lexi, what has inspired you to be creative? Um, I don't know if I it, I'm kind of in the pickle because I don't know if it's necessarily created it's inspired me to be creative, but it's inspired me to be more actively reading, if that makes sense, which I feel like has like been a super big um escaped for me in the last couple i'd say in the last year but uh reading a song of ice and fire with dallas the game of thrones Ooh. series when we read that together or listened to it on audible together it like lit a fire in my soul and i was like i love reading i miss reading i miss having these stories be in my life and i feel like it has since then like lit a fire under in my soul of like wanting to share this with other people, which I feel like is fun for me. So I feel like I'm, uh, I feel like I'm the Easter bunny, like handing out books, like Easter eggs. I'm like, here you go. You get one, you get one, you get one. Now everybody read it and read about fairies. Thank you. Listen, I love that. Jon Snow led you to fairy smut. How does that make you Jon Snow was the OG. I was like, listen here, you, you little fur wrapped man. Listen, when Jon Snow threw away his whole religion because mm-hmm. he had sex one time, mm-hmm. I was like, this book was written about and me for too. me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Moving forward, I would like to say thank you, Jon Snow. Um, he walked so Real representation. Run. Not a single interesting thing to say ever. Worst parts of those books. But Egret rules. So miss, miss when him. she dies, it is so downhill. Mm-hmm. It is not a mistake that he gets killed very quickly after because mm-hmm. Jon Snow without Egret, nothing going mistake. on. Mistake. Remember when Samuel Tarly has sex for the first time and you're just mm-hmm. like, good for you, little guy. Like, good good for you. Wow. <laughs> I do believe in miracles. Wow. Even though it's kind of weird, 
And there's one specific line that will haunt me till I die that I'm not even going to say on this air. But please don't, please don't share it. Great books. George, George should have kept that in his head. It, listen, George got a little bit of that Stephen King in him. A little bit of that. What if I say the most fucked up thing you've ever heard? <laughs> and maybe that's the secret sauce because they're the best books I've ever read. But they do make <laughs> you hate them. They make you hate that it's in your head now. Mm-hmm. And what inspired you to be creative? I think the biggest one lately was being at New York Comic Con. Because, you know, I've had so many moments growing up where it's like things made me want to create and to do. But being in that atmosphere, getting to see those people and realizing like how, even though I'm so far away of it, how close I felt to all of it, it made me realize like if I don't start taking those steps now, it's not going to happen. And I want, I had this goal that I set when I was there that I want to be on that show floor in 10 years time at least and I don't care what it takes for me to get there I don't care if it you know if it happens in 10 or 15 years I set an arbitrary time but it's like as long as I'm on that floor at some point before I die I will be happy and I got home and I wrote my first comic script that I'm going to be putting the final finishing polishes on this week and submitting and I finished my first horror short story that I've written in a long, long time, which also will be gaining some polishing soon, which I'm very, very happy about. But it was the first time that I've actually had fun writing in maybe like five years, which is the first time I feel myself so stressed and, you know, really, really being my own biggest enemy with it is after I came home from New York. And I'm, I don't know, it's like, books and movies all that can make you feel creative but sometimes experiences can too and just helping change your perspective a little bit absolutely um and then our last question for the day guys we did it we did it okay we got five <laughs> minutes left with one question we did it hey collective my question for the wit the week is, why do you think Scott has friends? Why do you think the movie is such a beloved adaptation? What are your expectations out of the series? How has Netflix disappointed you specifically? For me, it's canceling Inside Job and not advertising Captain, Laserhawk, Tiger and Bunny, and Baki. George Bush gets kidnapped and doxxed in that show from Ed. <laughs> so how does Scott have friends? Why do people love the movie? What do we want out of the anime? How has Netflix disappointed us? I know how it's disappointed Alexis. Don't even get me started. I'm already stewing over here. I'm already angry. It kicked me um, off my parents' plan. Ooh, fuck Netflix. <clears throat> Same. I think that real-life friends are much more forgiving of your warts than online friends. Mm. Like, I, I think I have less in common with, but more love for many of my real-life friends than I have, like, the hyper-specific, we agree on everything ever internet friends that I've made. Like, present company excluded, you have all become real-life friends. But, like, I have people that I talk with online a lot. But at the end of the day, like, my friend Andrew, that I have almost nothing in common with, I love that guy. Like, I see him every weekend. I, I would push him out of the front of a train. You know what I mean? Like, I'd probably do that for most people. But, like, I love him. And... I think this book captures that a little bit where like you do just collect some weirdos in your life and they become yours and they become your family that you hang on to forever. Yeah. 
And also, even pretending if Scott was like the worst person ever, I've met the worst people ever and they all still have friends. And their friends aren't mm -hmm. always the worst people ever also. So it's very normal for people we perceive as like losers or assholes or ungrateful to still have a community or a group of people that they are able to, uh, I think in Scott's case, leech off of, but, you know, in a kinder way of phrasing it, uh, mooch off of. It's the same thing. Hmm. I love that word, I, mooch. I, Me too. <laughs> I have nothing to add to either of those, but I'm expecting a lot from the animated series. I've loved everything I've seen from it so far. Like I said, I hope it's a good combination of all the best parts of the movie and the series. Um, getting to actually expand what we see, I, I really hope it is. I don't think they have any excuse not to show some of the, the better moments of the, the books now. So I'm ready for that. And, you know, how has Netflix disappointed me specifically? I'm a sapphic. Netflix makes a career out of disappointing <laughs> me on a regular basis. I never watch any of the shows they put out because I'm like, what's the fucking point? There's a gay woman in it. It's going to be canceled after one season. It doesn't matter. Why would I do this? And they're like, why is no one watching the shows? And it's like, you. It's You're the problem. <laughs> Thank you. Fuck I Netflix. do not remember the last time Netflix made a show I cared about. Mine was Sex I guess Education, I think. I did like Sex Education. Yeah. I like Stranger Things. Yeah. But I didn't even watch the last season of Stranger Things. Mm -mm. Like I, I just never got around to it. Even though everyone's like, this is the best season yet. I was like, for whatever reason... Season three was boring enough that I just, I feel like I'd have to rewatch it to watch season four. And I just don't want to do that. So the end yeah. to those 30 I'm year old children. I made the season three. I didn't like season two. And then season three, I was halfway through. I was like, I'm not having a good time. I finished it. I was like, why did they do that? They even try for the other seasons. So also it been an anthology. Having read it. Like I know I am not the first one saying this, but like the amount of lunch they stole from Stephen King to make that show. <laughs> And make it worse than those books. I was like, oh, I don't need Stranger Things anymore. I have it. Like I just could read it. Um, the Killer was great though. That movie that just came out. That's on Netflix. I want to see that. David Fincher's movie. I I saw it in theaters, so I forgot it was on Netflix. But that's a great movie. Yeah. Is it on Netflix now? Oh, never mind. Don't worry about it. I'll look it up. Yes, I think it did. <laughs> I will say the only thing that has come from Netflix that I've enjoyed not even the show that she came from but just the female hormone monster from big mouth is the funniest character that's ever been created and i just she just lives red free in my head that's it that's all i have to say she makes me laugh <sighs> netflix just is nothing character. more to me now than a vehicle for knives out movies that's yes mm-hmm mm -hmm. hey they usually have the best comedy specials good there's that yeah. Also, they also killed television. So they did. <laughs> Good uh, on them. And they're about to kill streaming too. So we're, yeah, <laughs> two like two. they in, they invented a model that killed television and then died. Like, <laughs> Apex Predator. There. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to. I do have to shout out the Netflix founder though, because he is the reason that my soon-to-be probably husband has a job. So I got to be a little oh. bit nice on the internet. <laughs> Because he bought the ski resort he works at. And now he's paid very well. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thank you. We're, thank you. We're on your payroll. <laughs> All right, okay. folks. Do we want to sign out? This, this has been the Comics Collective. Evan, before we roll into our credits, do tell us, tell the people what you got going on in your life. 
All right. I'm on a social media break, but uh, when I come back, you always find me on Twitter at uh, Evan Reads Comics. I totally forgot what I was called. It's been so long. Uh, Evan Reads Comics. Uh, you can also find me on the TikTok at Evan Von Doom. You can also follow my podcast, which I co host with Dallas Taylor, which is called What's Next? Come up with podcasts where every month we go over the monthly citations of different publications, including Marvel, DC, Image Studios, other places. And it's a very good time we have. We look at the comic solicitations for different comic books, and it's great. Uh, you could follow that at What's Next Comics on Twitter or at What's Next Comics on TikTok. And before I go, I just want to shout out a comic that I think I haven't seen a lot of people talking about, but I absolutely love. And also, maybe they started talking about it in the last 15 days, which I've missed because I've been on social media. But it is Wesley Dodds, The Sandman by Venditti and Rosmo. It is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so pulpy and so well illustrated and everything about it's good the art's good the color's good the lettering's good and of course the writing's good it's everything you want from a comic and i think a lot more i should be on it. it's a mini series and i think it needs your support and i just i love this book and i think other people would love it too if they give it a shot only two issues out so it's time to catch up and that's it for me back to the show all right, everybody. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. Like Penny, who gave us five stars and just said, www, like we're winning a million times and then said comics collective more like epic epic so thank you (laughs) thank you penny i agree and finally feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com and tune in next week for our coverage on the life and times of scrooge mcduck featuring matt draper that should be fun Listen, it's Thanksgiving. We're getting the whole family around. Holiday Scrooge. <laughs> Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Come on. Love them. Matt is Scrooge. And we the three are of us are Huey, Dewey, Dewey and Louie. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. We just keep it's going to be a great time. Wonderful trios on this show. I love it. We just are. And so am I here, too. Yeah. <laughs> you could be Donald. <laughs> <laughs> you are Donald. Because. You're the best, most famous one, but you're yeah. not always Aww. in the comics with us. I Evan Von Donald. But when you show up, everything gets better. Oh, thank you. you. I am also a big supporter of Don Cheadle. Hold on. Pause. <laughs> Legally speaking, he's joking. But reality speaking, he's not lying. <laughs> I know you're I'm Donald Duck right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's Donald Duckin right now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, folks. We'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye forever. Bye.